Hello and welcome to Grace Church Vienna. Today we have Hans Georg Kopperich with us who will take us through the story of Jesus healing a blind man that we find in the Gospel of John chapter 9. But was the blind beggar the only blind man in the story or were others blinded in other ways, probably even more severely? And why did a positive thing like healing a person become such a problem for many involved? What can we learn about Jesus' true intentions and thinking? Well, stay tuned and listen to Hans Georg now. Well, another Sunday. It's great to be with you folks here and uh, sharing together in the name of our Lord Jesus. And uh, he's present here. Uh, he gave his uh, spirit to move all around the world. And uh, we are excited about what he does in all the world. As we, as you know, we are still with uh, one of our partner missions is uh, Pioneers, and we are with uh, Pioneers um, in member care, caring for people all around the globe. Not only people sent out from. Europe, but elsewhere we get uh, all sorts of inquiries from down under, from the States and everywhere. So welcome, my colleague. Um, don't know, are you also with Pioneers or? Uh, no, uh, World, Venture. World Venture, welcome, yeah. So uh, you don't challenge us with Pioneers. <laughs> it's so great, you know, to work together for the same great desire to serve the Lord Jesus. And as we write newsletters, and um, every month we uh, write a newsletter with uh, a very small paragraph, you know, um, that is given from the Word of God. And uh, this uh, month it was Colossians 1.15, where Paul writes about um, the the picture that God has given us through the Lord Jesus. And as we prepared ourselves, we came across uh, uh, of a Greek word that is used there. And that is a very well-known word for all of you, at least for those that use computers. Is there anybody here that doesn't use computers? Uh, I can't see a hand here, uh, and for those that are listening, well, here we are in, in Vienna. All of us are using computers, um, and there is a word that is used in the Greek um, original language, and that is called an icon. Do you know what an icon is? You know, you download um, a certain program, and then you get an icon whenever you look at your mobile uh, you tip that icon, and then the whole world opens up, you know. It's incredible when you open up uh, an icon, what can happen. And uh, that's exactly what God gave us in Jesus. He opens up a whole new world. He opens up his world, and we need eyes to see. Hearts that are open for his word. And that's our prayer as we came from Burgenland this morning. We prayed earnestly that again and again, not only to us, and but specifically to us, that this word of God may be 
open our heart and mind and spirit for the realities of the living God. And I am always excited to you know, get ready for Sunday service. I usually, uh, I mean, as you know, we're living in Eisenstadt and uh, our ministry is uh, quite a wide one. So we are engaged in all sorts of things, not only with pioneers, but also locally, uh, nationally and internationally. So, uh, but when uh, we come, when we are invited to come uh, to your place, Saturday is just for for Grace Church, you know, and I'm always excited to sit down on a Saturday just to get prepared. And may I just um, take the opportunity to say thank you for this very opportunity because then I need to dig really uh, to the deep end and that's always a, a great privilege uh, for myself. Uh, but because oftentimes... Um, in the day-to-day -day work, um, it, there is a kind of way that you don't get too deep at times. I must confess that. But, you know, um, coming here, that's a great opportunity to dig deeper. So thank you so much for that very specific opportunity again. Now, recently I was made uh, aware of um, a book um, from Helen Keller. Um, and you know, um, authentic books, books that talk about life, life story are always um, quite e exciting. And uh, she wrote a book um, at the turning of the century, The Story of My Life. Um, at only 19, 19 months old, after um, a severe illness, Helen Ke Keller became blind. And not only blind, but deaf, and soon afterwards even unable to talk, to speak. Yet, through the patient work of one dedicated person, Helen was able to make a, a very meaningful contribution to the world through writing, teaching, and an inspirational example. In one of her memoirs, uh, Keller records endless days of anticipation and despair, waiting for someone to draw her out. Then the, she describes the day the f she first met the person who would do just that, Lifelong, um, lifelong friend and teacher, Anne Sullivan. Have you ever been at, that's what she writes, had she, have you ever been in a dense fog when it seemed as if a tangible white darkness shut you in and the great ship you are moving about Tense and anxious, group the way towards the shore and plummet and sounding line and you waited with beating heart for something to happen. It was like that ship before, that's what she is writing, my education began. Only I was without compass, 
or sounding line and had no way of knowing how near the harbor was. Light, give me light, was the wordless cry of my soul and the light of love shone in on me in that very hour I felt approaching footsteps. I stretched out my hand as I supposed to my mother. Someone took it and I was caught up and held close in the arms of her who had come to reveal all things to me and more than all things else. To love me? This tender meeting between teacher and pupil in March 1887 was the turning point to reveal all things to me and more than all things else. It, that was this love. And as we look, as Helen Keller describes her situation, as we look at the Bible passage uh, this morning, the blind man in John chapter 9 had a similar encounter. For years and years and years, he sat in the streets, a castaway from society, his soul aching to for the touch of light and love. And then one day he heard the approaching footsteps of Jesus, who with a touch of compassion gave him new eyes. Now what was the case and what was the cure? Few afflictions are more difficult to, he to bear than, than um, blindness. And in Jesus' day, uh, a blind person held little hope for anything more than a lifetime of begging. To the passage we are considering, uh, in the passage we are considering today, our Lord, the light of the world, releases a blind man from the constraints of darkness. But because the healing is performed on the Jewish Sabbath, the Pharisees are critical. So the headline today, and um, thank you again, um, dear fellow brother who, uh, Philip, uh, who set the stage um, and doing the PowerPoint, uh, when we communicated uh, the previous week, I called the headline, and um, Philip, of course, uh, when we talk about man, well, he put man with an A. Actually, I meant to um, write men. So uh, we communicated last night, and I said, Philip, change it to man, because when you look at the, uh, you know, there's a deeper meaning, of course, we ask ourselves, actually, who are the blind men? Not men. Well, we, we have a blind man, that's for sure, because that's the story in John chapter 9. 
But in the end, we need to ask, you know, who is actually blind? And in the outcome of this morning, we may actually find that there may be some blind spots in our lives. At least that was the case for me. Blind spots. Blind man's bluff. That was, that is the headline, so case and cure. Um, that really, the whole situation was kind of very tensed. It leads yet to another um, public conflict between organized legalistic religion and vibrant life-giving relationship with the person of the Lord Jesus. Towards the end of the chapter, it becomes clear that the real blind men, the plural men, not man, men, are the Pharisees whose spiritual darkness substitutes the pride of religion for the humility of faith. Now look at the man, first of all, the focal point of chapter 9 in uh, John chapter 9, as we open this um, our Bible, the focal is on we focus on the on this man the focal point rests on a beggar that was blind born blind we read in chapter 9 verse 1 as he Jesus was walking along he saw a man blind from birth a man who has never, ever seen these great big waves at the Mediterranean Sea. And uh, as you may remember, we've been uh, there last year uh, at the end of February, uh, March in Israel. Great big waves. It was kind of so good to see that. Great to see that. But here is... Blind beggar, he has never seen it. Never has he seen, you know, like we do see these days, even it's a little bit cold and frozen, but we see the trees blossoming this spring as he's never seen that. Can you imagine the tragic? Never seen, wow, the brilliant sunsets in the in the Palestinian plains, he's never seen it. Never seen the awe-inspiring architecture of the temple in Jerusalem. Never seen. This was the man. But what was the issue? The theological issue is articulated this time not by the scribes, as you would expect. And not by the Pharisees, but 
by Jesus' own disciples. As we read in um, chapter John chapter 9, verse 2, Master, his disciples asked him, Why was this man born blind? Was it a result of his own sins or those of his parents? That was the question. Where is the sin? Who has sinned? Who is the sinner? Now their question was of course logical. In those days it was commonly taught that a fetus could commit sin while in the mother's womb. Whether we accept that now with what we know and we have a doctor in our midst at least one I don't know some nurses there maybe as well you know well I mean David I think you would certainly object to that would you kind of huh well in these days there um, they said a fetus could commit sin while in the mother's womb and that its kicking indicated its sinful state. Imagine, the Torah, the book of traditional Jewish laws, claimed that it was also possible for God to impose judgment of the parents' iniquity upon their children or grandchildren. That's what the Torah taught. So can you understand why the disciples of Jesus pointed fingers to this blind beggar? They wanted to know. We see that happen today when also, I mean, and then David, you come in again. <laughs> Sorry that I point fingers to you. But today when venereal diseases and alcoholism on birth defects to the next generation, doesn't it? Like medieval theologians who argued over as funny as it may sound. You know, some of these things we, we cannot follow. We cannot kind of, we feel funny uh, about these thoughts. Then how many, that's what they argued about and you can laugh about it. You can say, well, how stupid. You know what they argued about? How many angels could fit on the head of a pin? They argued about These Fletching seminarians moved to theological controversy and then tender-hearted compassion. But instead of scolding his students, Jesus gives them a short lecture on who he is, on Christology. I mean, we are not having a, a kind of a, a Bible school here, but the uh, teaching about Jesus, who he is, is Christology. So we are not here in a Bible uh, college. We don't um, do that. But obviously it was important for Jesus to educate them who he is. And then in, in verse uh, 3 to 5, 
We read, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming where no one can work. While I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. The healing of the blind man affirmed Jesus' identity as the Messiah. For the Old Testament predicted that clearly. We read it in Isaiah at least three times. It is that said the Messiah would come to heal the blind. So it really confirms what the Old Testament says on several scripture verses. The Messiah would heal the blind. So we have looked at this man. We have looked at the case and let's look also at the miracle that happened. The Bible records three times that the Lord Jesus used salvia to effect a miracle. We can read this about this in Mark 7, uh, 33 and Mark 8, 23. And of course, here in uh, John chapter 9, 6 and 7, having said this, that's what we read here. Having said this, he spit on the ground and made some mud with the salvia and put it on the man's eyes. Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, he told him. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. What a great day that must have been for this blind beggar. Question should up their hands and waves for answer. Why clay? Why spittle? Why the pool of Siloam? But they drowned out by the jubilation of the beggar returning from the pool, seeing for the first time in his life. Can you imagine the kind of excitement I can see? As we try to do some personal application, let's go back to Helen Keller's book, The Story of My Life. She talks about the dramatic moment when Anne Sullivan first broke through her dark, silent world with the illumination of language. Helen Keller writes, we walk down the path of uh, the well house um, attracted by the fragrance of the honeysuckle which it was covered. Someone was drawing water and my teacher placed my hand under the spout as the cool stream gushed over one hand. She spelled out the word water. First slowly, then rapidly, I stood still, my whole attention fixed upon the motions of her fingers. Suddenly I felt a misty conscious of something forgotten, a thrill of returning, though somehow the mystery of language 
was revealed to me, I knew that W-A-T-E-R meant the wonderful, cool something that was flowing over my hand. That living word awakened my soul, gave it light, hope, joy, set free. There were barriers still. It is true, that's what she writing, but barriers that could in time be swept away. Certainly, this was how the blind, the blind man must have felt. He saw water for the first time as he washed his eyes in the pool of Siloam, barriers that could in time be swept away. Just as the light of the world gave sight to the blind beggar and just as the living word awakened the soul of Helen Keller, so Jesus can awaken your and my soul suddenly I see. Do you remember the day where you bowed your knees before the Lord Jesus and invited him to come into your life? Do you still remember? Do you know the state that you had before? We had an Afghani lady um, a year or two ago in our house and um, she said she wanted to become a Christian. And we bowed down. We made the sinner's prayer. And when she stood up, she said, wow, now I can see. It's like peeling off a, an orange. You know, the peels are off. I'm set free. Similar to this beggar, this blind, ex-blind beggar. Now, 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 now I can see. Can you see the overjoy in his heart? It's amazing. He can give you light. This God, this Lord Jesus, um, freedom and those that listen us. This is the gospel we are standing for. The life-changing gospel that can change people, you and me. And it starts small and it grows bigger. This is why our, our colleague came from all the way from the States. Because the family is convinced this is they're calling, let's do it, go for it. Well, we looked first of all at uh, the case and cure, uh, the man, the issue, the, the miracle. Now let's look at uh, some of the questions and answers that bounce back and forth. It's like on table tennis. You see the ball bouncing, you know, back and forth. Questions came, they raised their eyebrows, and uh, they wanted to have answers now, you know. And Jesus didn't run away. He gave answers. Answers, my brothers and sisters, to live with. No excuses. What happens when the light of the world meets a dimly burning wick of humanity? Does he rebuke it 
for its faint flicker? Does he snuff it out? No, Jesus tenderly. The chart, the chart wick in his hand and kindles its flame. But the physical light Jesus brings to this man is only a glimmer of the spiritual light that will, that soon will follow. Questions and answers. Well, first of all, between the neighbors and the beggar. Like reporters, and well, nowadays it's, uh, it's gone, you know, with, um, with press conferences, but I've watched um, some of the press conference of your previous president and, you know, bouncing back, and I'm not critical to it. I'm a press conference. That's how it is. You know, you ask questions, and sometimes you get good answers, and sometimes, you know, you're blocked in. You don't get any answers, as in these days in many press conferences, uh, about uh, Corona, you know, bounce back and they ask questions and the, even the minister, he can't give an answer. Some are critical and sometimes, you know, he must say, I don't have the answer. I don't have it. And like in a press conference, the neighbors ply the beggar with questions. We read in chapter 9, verses 8 to 11, his Neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. He's an image. <laughs> Some kind of friend of him. He looks, you know, similar to him. But he himself insisted. I am the man. How then were your eyes opened? They demanded. You know, how was it that your eyes were opened? His answer in an unadorned, unembellished, um, dressed only in the truth, straightforward as a kind of a down blue color guy, you know, uh, can only put it, he replied, you know, as if you ask this kind of question, it depends whom you ask, of course. Now, if you would ask, um, you know, somebody who has made lots of studies, he, put, he gets in all sorts of daunting other side questions until he may or he may not answer. But with a blue color guy, blue color guys, you know them, you know, kind of hardworking Street man, normal people, as we all are in one way. You know, he gives a straight answer. <laughs> and I like this. I can so identify with him. <laughs> he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash so I went, I washed, and then I could see, where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. I was just obedient. This man said something to me, and because I wanted to see, I was obedient. 
Now, these were not only questions between neighbors and beggars, but they are also, of course, and it couldn't be otherwise, a question and answers between the Pharisee and the beggar. In the following passage, perfectly illustrated how, as we have read already in John 1.5, in your study in the Gospel of John, in John 1.5, it says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And in, in John 9, 13 to 16, we read, They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Unfortunately, but good that it wasn't a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees who asked him how he had received his sight, he put Mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Question and answers. Just opposed to the newfound physical sight of the beggar is the utter spiritual blindness of the religious aristocracy of Jesus' time. This is why I call it blind, blind men's bluff. You see the blindness of those that should have known better? Do you see it? By this time, years of legalistic additions had accrusted the original Sabbath laws beyond one could bear. Just to give you a couple of examples. If a lamb ran out of oil, for example, you could not fill it on the Sabbath. If sandals were shot with, na with nails, you could not walk in them. You should not trim your beard on or hair or even a fingernail. And benevolent act like setting a broke bone had to postpone until after the Sabbath. What a heavy weight on people. For Jesus to make clay and then treat a person constituted Unlawful work in the Pharisees' eyes. Jesus, however, indicated that the intent of the Sabbath regulations had been turned around 180 degrees just to the opposite from what God wanted them. And he declared in Mark 2.27, he says, The Sabbath was made for whom? For man. And not for the Sabbath. And not man for the Sabbath. But the debate soon shifts the focus from the issue of the Sabbath to the identity of this enigmatic miracle worker of Jesus. It goes 
to the very man. People talk till to this very day. In verse 16 and 17 we read, But others asked, How can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man said just what they didn't want to hear at, at all. He's a prophet. And then, I mean, you can easily imagine how the tensions rose from there on. It was incredible. And the Jews, however, they were blind to the miracle. They interrogated the beggar's parents. We read that in um, verse 19 to 21. Intimidated by cross-examination and afraid to be excommunicated, the parents pleaded ignorance. They were in fear and trembling. They didn't want to name it. So the Pharisees returned to the beggar to witness, stand, and then, you know, he comes up with a reality. The second time they summed the man and head who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, you know, kind of blue collar reply again. And I like it. You know, I so easily can identify with that kind of reply. Uh, whether he's a sinner <laughs> or not, I don't know. One thing I know. One thing I know. I was blind and now I see. Wow. I was blind and now I can see. What a great, dramatic testimony that is. No testimony is quite as compelling as of a changed life. You know, reading the Bible, I came across of Paul's testimony being three times in one book of the Bible, and that's Acts. I think I've mentioned it a couple of times already, and the importance of a personal testimony Changed life are so attractive because it's authentic. You can't turn them around because they say the truth. They, this is what happened. I was blind. I now I can see as this Afghani lady. It's peeled off. My eyes are open. People can argue theology and dispute all sorts of interpretation of the Bible, but they are rendered speechless when confronted with the reality of a changed life. Your life changed. It is the unarguable apologetic. You can Ask a word back as done in, 
in an apologetic approach, you ask back, how did it come? Tell me more. To be a witness does not consist in engaging in propaganda, nor even in stirring people up, but in being a living mystery. It means to live in such a way that one's life would not make sense if God did not exist. That's a testimony. Certainly this could be said of the blind man's life after he met Jesus and of so many people and how and I hope dearly that this can be applied to you and me. That you can get out from here and say, I was blind. But now I see it's peeled off. And here is the sin. You know, that Afghani lady said, look, this is, this is it. She um, put her index finger to the peeled off um, orange. You know, this is what happened now. Now this very moment. Isn't that exciting? And it can happen today. Praise God. It can happen still. It's still the same Jesus. He hasn't changed. Wherever you are and listening, this is what God can do. Can this be said of you and me as well? What sort of message do you communicate through your life? Is your life a cold monument of religious duty coming on Sunday worship to Grace Church and you come in and go out and nothing much has changed? Not even the intention of changing. Yes, the word God, the word of God may have touched your heart, but what is changed actually? What has changed? The Pharisees continue their attack not only by um, denigrating Jesus sarcastically, they are discrediting the man Jesus has healed. They say in um, uh, John 9, 34, we read, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? We know better than you. What is it? What can you tell us? This severe rebuke prompted by the man's insightful comments. In John 9, 30 to 33, we read, Now that is remarkable. You who do not know where he comes from yet, he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. We, he listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. It, if this man were not found from God, he could do nothing. But in their blind pride, the Pharisees threw the formerly blind man out of the temple. They kicked him out and say, well, here is the dog, get out. And then... It's another pair. You know, we have pairs this morning. We talked about case and cure. We talked about 
question and answers. And lastly, let's talk about the real matter. Talk about belief and unbelief. Because that may be found here in the midst of Grace Church as it can be found somewhere in the world as people listen from, I don't know where they listen to us this morning. It's a matter of belief and unbelief. The Jews cast him out of the temple, but the Lord of the temple found him. What a grace. More can happen. For the first time, the man born blind beholds the light of the world face to face. He could see the Lord. In verses 35 to 41, we read, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. He couldn't do otherwise. He worshipped him. That's what the Bible says. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what? Are we blind too? You know, hit the point. Are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind... You would not be guilty of sin, but now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Wow, what a devastating judgment. John evidently wants us to see that the activity of Jesus as the light of the world inevitably results in judgment on those who naturally habitat its darkness. They oppose the light and they bring down condemnation on themselves accordingly. The other side of that coin is the restoration of sight to those who admit to their darkened condition and come out as the blind man did to embrace the light. Now, how do we at last... You know, it's quite important for me to make some practical application. And I may be, I'm not a diplomat. I, and I, I don't even apologize not being a diplomat. It is, you know, with different cultures, you live in uh, guilt. Cultures are divided in guilt and shame cultures. And in shame cultures, you don't, you're not kind of direct. Well, I've been brought up in a, a different kind of culture in, in Germany. And Germans, as most of um, us Austrians know, they are very blunt and direct. One of the lessons I needed to learn in while studying at All Nations in uh, England, they pointed finger to us and said, you Germans are non-diplomatic and blunt. Direct. A hammer. They call a hammer a hammer and a spade. A spade. So, I don't know whether I should excuse, but I may be very direct now. 
where you may see some blind spots in your life. Well, we have people that you can confess afterwards. We'll be here. We have co-workers in Christ that are here where you may confess this is a blind spot in my life. So as we look at this, it's so important for me. Jesus can do and change every life. He will make it blossom. He is able to give you joy, give you a reason to live, a longing for a new day to come. The word that became flesh, that incarnate himself in your life and fill every dark corner with life. My fellow brothers and sisters, wherever you may listen, have you lately examined your spiritual eye sight have you examined there are not any charts of the wall to test this by but some attitudes that mark them out it becomes clear that there are spots in the dark may i ask you and i'm look um, it's so easy, as we've seen numerous times here, to point fingers with that big and long index finger. And to pointing to others, the index finger usually grows to five meters. And that's not what I'm doing. Because three come back. But I'm compelled. And the word of God, um, you know, shows us that we examine our eyesight as we do with the doctors every year with my eyesight. May I ask you to take a seat then, sit down, and let the Holy Spirit show you any symptoms of spiritual blindness that may be dimming or ability to see and follow the light of the world. Do you generally feel more comfortable by the book keeping the rules? Where do you gain a sense of security in doing things right or relying on God's love? Do you expect God to play by the rules in your life? Who is the main player? What happens when the unexpected comes. How do you handle it? When other Christians try to talk to you about God from different angle than what you are used to, how do you respond to them? Do you grow into an argument? Do you even maybe even shouting at one another? All things have happened and I've experienced these kind of things. Are you open to learning or do you feel threatened? 
Are you excited to discover something new? Do you respond angrily, rejecting both the person and their message? Are you willing to prayerfully reconsider your position? Do you find it difficult to admit your need? You know that uh, we do lots of um, questioning with some of our um, candidates, missionary candidates. And one of the major questions that we ask, what do you favor to do? I don't know what you've been asked before you came here and joined uh, the mission you joined. And the second question is just as important as the first one. What are the things that you don't like? And then it becomes clear. Because if we are honest, we tell what we don't like. But we, we men especially, we don't like that. <laughs> you know, we have muscles. We have brain. Everything. But to talk about our failures, that's very, very hard. Very hard. Well, the, the question is, anyway, how present is the compassion of Christ in your life? What else gives evidence to Christ's life, Christ's light in your life? Do you have found, and I want to finish by that, some spiritual blind spots in your life? Well, it's time to confess. To say, yes, God, here I am. Here is a blind spot. I, I need to confess that. Because only by honestly facing them and bringing them to Jesus, Jesus can give you hope and he will correct your vision. Instead, let us allow the light of the world to lead us out of darkness and into the light of life as you've gone through in John 8, um, 12. I am the light of the world then we may say gratefully, one thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. Do you want to say that as well? I was blind, but now I see. May this happen. This is my personal desire to us here and those that may follow us somewhere in the world, in India, Africa, or wherever. May you also come to that very conclusion. I was blind, but now I see. May the Lord bless you abundantly to come to that very conclusion that he, the Lord Jesus, opened your eyes for his glory to fulfill his purposes, to follow in his footsteps. Amen. Lord Jesus, we bow before you because 
you are in the light and you want to bring us into the light. We thank you that your word is light on our path. And thank you for the light that was shed on our path this morning, this day in April. Thank you that you are stronger than our unbelief. That you are stronger than any kind of sin. You died on the cross and we were reminded a couple of weeks ago that you rose from the grave. You've been seen by 500 men. They saw you alive. And you will come back. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we can offer our life into your hands. Because you are the good shepherd. You know all our needs. Even the needs that we do not articulate. We do not want to talk about. Yet you know them. Thank you that we can confess. We praise you for your forgiveness. I once was blind, but now I see. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that that can happen with every people, with every tribe, with every nation. Thank you for your power and glory. Thank you for your presence. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.